that. Thank you, baby. If you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 2 will be our main text tonight. And it is great to be back with you. We were out on Sunday. Uh, my, my brother had his, uh, his baby's dedication at his church, and so we were in Dallas, and uh, everything went well, had a good time, but we certainly, anytime we're not here, uh, we realize how much we miss it. You probably do the same thing when you're on vacation or something keeps you away. You, you realize that you just miss being uh, with your church family. And so Sunday morning early, we were driving to Dallas, and um, we were glad to be going, but we sure hated not to be here. And uh, I always feel like we're missing out when you're not here. Uh, and that's a sign that you are in a good church. <clears throat> so we're in, we were in Dallas, and Brittany said on the way out, she said, you just don't fit in here in, in a church like this. And I said, baby, what do you mean? She said, well, I had my cowboy boots on, and the boys had their boots, and all the guys there wore these skinny jeans, these skinny pants. And so these pants are like tied on your leg and feels like they can't even sit down because the pants are so tight and they were like these a lot of them had like these maroon pants on and these like lime green pants on and just a weird style in Dallas so we learned pretty quickly where we fit and where we don't but we heard y'all had a great great service Sunday morning and Sunday night thank you brother Allen uh, I gotta go back and hear those look forward to that but glad to be back with you tonight if you remember I was with you on a a few weeks ago on a Wednesday night, and we looked at Epaphroditus, looking at some of these uh, obscure characters in the Bible. First time I've ever really heard a, a message on him, and we're going to be in that same text, except now we're going to be looking at Timothy. We're looking at Timothy out of the same text here in Philippians chapter 2. J. Oswald Chambers said this. He said, when a movement develops around a dominant personality, the real test of the quality of his leadership is the manner in which the work survives the crisis of his removal. If he is to discharge his trust fully, he will devote time into training younger men to succeed and perhaps even supersede him. Every effective leader in any capacity realizes that they must invest in the next generation. They must invest in those who will come next. We see in the Bible that Moses handed uh, his leadership over, of course, to Joshua, that David handed his leadership to Solomon. We see that the Lord Jesus Christ invested much time into his followers, the 12 disciples, uh, teaching them, instructing them, showing them how to lead, showing them how to live a life that honors God so that once he ascended into heaven, that they may carry on his mission. And I believe that as believers here this evening tonight, one of our biggest jobs is to make sure that we are investing in others who can carry out the work of Christ. The way that we grow, the way that we move, the way that the kingdom of God enlarges is when believers begin to invest in others. I don't know if you've noticed it, but that does not come natural to most people. It doesn't come easy to most people. What happens in most churches is we get content with where we are. We get content with what we're doing. And we like to socialize with people just like us. And there's many, maybe most believers, if this question was asked, who are you investing into right now? There's many believers that could not give an answer to that question. 
They couldn't give a name to it. And so I want to challenge you tonight as we look at Timothy and Paul's relationship with Timothy. I want to challenge you to come up with someone that you can invest in spiritually. Someone that you can put your life in spiritually so they can grow and make a difference for the kingdom of God. Now the question becomes, where do I start, right? That's the question, where do I start? Well, I believe believe the Bible tells us, well-known passage, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Word of God says that these words, which I'm commanding you today, shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your sons. And shall talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign to your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. You want to know where to start? You start in your home. You start in your home. That's your biggest ministry right there. My biggest ministry, it's not in the church. It's not in my small group. It's not out with the youth. It's, not, it's with my boys and a little girl that's coming too. That's my ministry. Those are the ones that are the most important to me. Those are the ones that God has given me, not just for a few hours out of the week, but every single day. And I know that many of you in here, your, your kids have grown, and maybe your grandparents, maybe your great-grandparents at this point. But I find it interesting because here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it doesn't say to stop after your child is grown. It doesn't say that. Your children, your grandchildren, they still look up to you, and you still have the, the potential to offer great wisdom into their life spiritually. And so what are you to do? You're to live this text out. You're to let it to be that they know when they go to Mama and Papa or Mimi and Pee-Pee or that's probably not what they call you. Whatever they call you, they ought to know that when they come to your house, you're going to be talking about the things of God. They may not get it at home. They may not get it with mom and dad. They may not get it at school. But as the scripture says right here, they know that when they go to the grandparents, they go to the aunt and uncle, they go wherever it is that you are, They're going to hear the things of God. The word of God is on the doorpost. The word of God is on the gate. The word of God is going to be spoken about when you're walking down the street, when you're riding in the car. They're going to hear the things of God. It is a shame if we get busy, because I realize this is the Wednesday night crowd. If we get busy trying to serve God, but we miss our family, it's a shame. I've seen many ministers that do that. They get caught up in ministering to others and they miss their family. So where do you start? You start at home. You start with your children. You start with your family. As Paul neared the end of his ministry and he knew it was coming, he began to invest in two individuals, Titus and Timothy. Both of these men stood out and Paul began to invest into their lives. To both of them, he said, you are my true child in the faith. But if one has to stand out, it would be Timothy. Timothy was the protege of Paul. He was Paul's spiritual son. He was his constant companion in ministry. Timothy was born in Lystra. That's a Roman province out of Galatia. 
He was both, his mother was Jewish, his father was a a pagan Greek, and so he came from a a mixed culture. The Bible tells us that his mother and his grandmother were followers of Christ. 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I'm sure it dwells in you as well. And so he had this <clears throat> mother and this grandmother that would pour into him. And we don't get the specific details, but probably in Acts chapter 14, Paul came on his first missionary journey and he came to Lystra. And that's probably when this family surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you see in Acts chapter 16, where Paul comes back to Lystra, and at this point, Timothy catches his attention. Timothy catches his attention, and he wants to have Timothy come with him and take the place of John Mark. Now, you can imagine, Timothy was probably a young man at this point. He was probably in his late teens, maybe his early 20s, and Paul is asking him to accompany him on his journey. Well, the first time Paul came, do you remember what happened? The Bible tells us that they stoned him. They took his bloodied body and they threw it outside the city. They left him for dead. And often we see on Paul's journeys, he dealt with hardship after hardship after hardship. You can imagine his mother, maybe his father, his grandmother, when they heard that Paul wanted uh, Timothy to accompany him, there were probably some reservations. Wouldn't you have some reservations? I would. I don't know if that's the life I want my children to have. But all of a sudden, they they let him go. They let Timothy go, and Timothy began to be the right-hand man to Paul. He courageously stayed in Berea after the persecution uh, drove Paul out. He later joined Paul in Athens. He ministered with Paul in Corinth and in Macedonia. He was uh, with Paul in Jerusalem. Uh, He was with Paul when he penned Romans and 2 Corinthians and Philippians and Colossians and 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians and Philemon. Uh, He was a representative of the churches in Corinth and Thessalonica and Philippi. He was Paul's right-hand man throughout his ministry. And he was faithful to Paul. He was consistent in his walk with Christ. When you read about Timothy in the Bible... You see positive attribute after positive attribute. The last thing we see about Timothy is found in Hebrews chapter 13. It says, you should know that our brother Timothy has been released with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Apparently he was in prison. We don't get the details of why. We know he was in prison and he was released. He went on to pastor the church in Ephesus. And then later on after that, history tells us that he was martyred because he stood up against the pagan gods in that day. But Timothy was a man of proven worth. Let's look together. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 19 I want to just draw your attention to some qualities that Timothy has. Philippians 2, uh, verse 19. It says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. 
how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. I want you to see a few things here about Timothy. First thing I want you to notice is that Timothy chose the right example. Timothy chose the right example. In the world today, our our young people are given many options for role models. They can choose to follow an actor, an actress, someone they see on their their television screen or the movie screen. They can follow an athlete that they love. They can follow a, a singer that they hear on their earbuds. I always got those earbuds in, don't they? Listen to that music. So they can follow one of those musicians. Maybe they follow a teacher, someone who invested into their life. The same is true for Timothy. He could have followed anyone. But Timothy chose to follow Paul. Now, in your Bible, if you look there at verse 20, uh, if you have the New American Standard, it, it probably says that they had a kindred spirit. If you're using the King James, it says they were like-minded. It means that they were of the same thought process. They were joined. They were together. It means that as Timothy went and he approached these churches, the way that he would teach would be the way that Paul would teach. The way that he would think would be the way that Paul would think. The way that he would act would be the way that Paul would act. And so he went through life and he tried to follow and to imitate the life of Paul. 2 Timothy 3.10, it says uh, that Timothy had followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and perseverance. 1 Corinthians, Paul says to be an imitator of me. Now, that's a bold statement, isn't it? I couldn't say that to you tonight. I couldn't look out at you and say, you know what you need to do in your life? You need to imitate me. You need to be just like Case. Because if you're just like Case... You're going to be just like Christ. I couldn't say that. If you act just like me, we're going to be in trouble. This church is going to be in a bad spot quick. But Paul was living such a life that he was following Christ so closely. And I'm not saying he was perfect. I'm not saying he was sinless. But he was following Christ so closely that he would often encourage the people to imitate his life as he was imitating the life of Christ. And so we see that Timothy became an imitator of Paul, and he tried to be like Paul. Do you realize that reproduction is the ultimate task of discipleship? As we go out and we go to jobs and we go see family and we go to Walmart, our task is to make other disciples to make other followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, to take what we have in us and give it to others. When's the last time you did that? When's the last time you reproduced another disciple? Someone saw Christ in you and they said, I want that in my life. There's something different. There's something different about her. There's something different about him. I see it. I see the goodness. I see the glory on their life. I see the grace. I see the joy of the Lord on their heart. I see the peace that passes all understanding even when there should be no peace. I've got to have that. When's the last time that happened to us? Paul was living a life, and Timothy saw it, and he said, I want to be like Paul in my life. And so he began to have that motivation. Second thing is this. We're going to move quickly. Timothy had a compassionate heart. 
Timothy had a compassionate heart. Look back at verse 20. You'll see that it says that he was genuinely concerned for their well-being. He was genuinely concerned for their well-being. He was not uh, falsely concerned. He was not hypocritical. He was not self-serving. But he was actually seeking the best for these people. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, he said, I'm not seeking what is yours, but I'm seeking you. It's not about what you have. I'm not after what you have. I'm seeking you. I'm seeking your soul. I'm seeking who you are for the kingdom of God. And so as Paul sends Timothy, he sends someone who he knows is concerned with the things of Christ. Timothy is a man that is living out what Philippians 2 says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also the interest of others. And so Paul sends Timothy, and he says, this is a guy that really cares for you. You know how important that is? I don't know about you, but can't you see past the false motivations? When there's somebody in life, and you know that they really care about you, they genuinely are concerned with you. They're concerned with how you feel. They're concerned with what you're going through in life. They, they love you. Their spirit is just drawn to you. You're not just somebody that lifts them up. You're not just another face in the crowd. But they really care about you. That's what Paul had for the churches he went to all over. That's what Timothy had. You'll notice that Paul says it's a good thing. And the word here, concern, it's the same word that's translated later on. It's translated anxious. He's anxious for these people. Now, let me ask you a question. Later on, uh, Paul says in Philippians 4, 6, be anxious about nothing. And so there's this condemnation here. You should not be anxious about anything. But here the same word is used, and he's lifting Timothy up, and he says, Timothy, uh, he's one that will be anxious about you. He's one that will be uh, concerned about you. Now, is that a conflict? Here's what I think it is. In Philippians 4, Chapter 4, he's saying, don't be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious about your circumstances. Uh, Don't be anxious about what you're going through in life. But here in chapter 2, he's saying, Timothy is is right because he is anxious and he is concerned about the the spiritual welfare, welfare of others. And so tonight, there ought to be an anxiousness in our heart over the lost people around us. That's biblical. That's a godly attitude. It's a godly attitude to be broken when you think of a loved one who is lost. Now, that's missing in our day a lot, isn't it? We don't see that a lot. But it's a beautiful picture when we begin to think that maybe we've got a, you've got a son, you've got a daughter, and you know they're lost. You know that if they were to die right now, they would spend eternity separated from God in heaven. That ought to break our heart. That ought to make us anxious. Maybe you've got a friend. Maybe you've got a coworker. You've got someone you love and you care about. And you know that they're separated from God. And that ought to break our hearts. And so he's saying this is a, a man who's anxious because he's got this sympathy, this tenderness, this deep concern 
for the spiritual well-being of others, do you have a deep concern for the spiritual well-being of others? When I look at my life, there's a lot of times that's missing. Just like you, I, I know people who are lost. I know people that if they were to die right now, I know that they would spend eternity in hell. But there's a lot of nights I can go to sleep just fine. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't keep me up at night. And it shouldn't be that way. It ought to be something that, that stirs us deep inside. It stirs us to make us people of action who take these to God. Third thing is this. Timothy focused on the right things. Look at verse 21. He said all, he's talking about all those in Rome except Timothy. They all seek after their own interest and not those of Christ Jesus. Everybody else is is selfish. Everybody else is self-seeking. Here Paul is, and you've got to admit, Paul is not selfish. Paul was living a good life, and he was well-respected. He had a high education. He had followers. His life was on track for greatness. And when he met Christ, everything changed. And then he went from place to place to place sharing the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he looks around, and he sees that that is so hard to come by with the people that he's surrounded with. Let me give you just an example. 2 Timothy chapter 1, he says, You're aware of the fact that all who are in Asia has, have turned away from me. Everybody in Asia, they've turned away from me. 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. All these people, they're leaving. They're not standing with me. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he talks about Demas. He says he loved this present world and he deserted me uh, and has gone to Thessalonica. He left me. He loved the present world so much that he just left. And so he's looking around and he sees all these selfish people, all these people who are driven by their own ambitions and their own self-interest. But he looks at Timothy and he says, Timothy is different. Jesus experienced the same thing. He had these followers and when he was arrested, what happened? They all left. They all deserted him. Judas, we know what Judas did. Peter went off and denied him. The rest just ran away scared for their life. That's not how Timothy was. Timothy wasn't selfish. Timothy was a man who would do what was not easy. You say, how do we do that? We serve the Lord without worrying about what it cost us. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about just following the leading of God without being worried about my money and my hobbies and my time and my interest and all this other stuff, right? It means that we just follow God and whatever he leads us to do, that's what we do. And so that's what Timothy, Timothy was. Timothy was also a man of integrity. He was a man of high integrity. We see in verse 22, It says, you know of his proven worth. To be proven means that you have stood the test. You have been approved after testing. It means you've been verified, you've been judged, you've been evaluated, and you came out clean. In the past, Timothy has ministered in Philippi. 
And so now he's coming back, and Paul says, you know this man, you know his character, and you know that he is a worthy man. Have you ever noticed there are some people that cannot stay in one place a long time? Because if they stay in one place, their reputation goes down the tube. And so they've got to go from this place to this place to this place to this place. That's not Timothy. He was serving in Philippi, and he goes back to it, and they all look at him, and they see him coming, and they know that he is a man of high character. I hope that when people look at me, they see a man of high character. I hope that. I hope that when people look at you and they see you when it's not easy, they see you at work when things are tough, And you don't feel like being godly. You have those times. I have those times. You have times when you don't feel like being godly. You have those times when uh, the flesh starts rising up in a big way. You have those times when you want to say something that you know you shouldn't be saying. It's in those moments that people look at you and they see you and they see your character. They see who you really are because it is so easy to be holy and righteous and pure right now. I have not heard one of you cuss yet tonight. I hadn't heard it. I have not heard one dirty joke in here tonight. It's easy in here. When we leave this place, that's when it's not so easy anymore. But when you leave this place, do people still look at you and do they see the Spirit of God on your life? Do they see the times that you're about to lose it, but you don't? Do they see the time that everything is going south, everything is going bad, but you still keep your cool? That's the mark of a mature believer. That's the mark that when everybody else is going south, you're still standing strong. That's the mark that people look at and they say there's something different about him or about her. A person of integrity. Number five, Timothy was humble. He was humble. Philippians 1, 15 and 17, it says, Preaching Christ, talking about those who preach out of envy and strife, out of selfish ambition rather than for pure motives, uh, thinking of the the cause behind it. What, What he says about Timothy is, As a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. He says, we're serving together. He didn't say that Timothy is serving under me. He didn't say that Timothy is serving below me. He says that me, Paul, and Timothy, we're serving side by side in the work of the gospel. And did you notice he said he's serving as a son? I believe why he says that is because when you have love, there's no competition. As a a son serving alongside a father, there is rejoicing when victory happens. There's rejoicement because of that, because there is this deep love. And do you know what's interesting? It's interesting that in today's world, one of the most competitive places is the church house. There is a spirit of competition among churches to where it won't be admitted, but there's many church leaders who wish another church would fail or they would fall because if they do, it makes this church look better and look stronger. And I want to tell you that is not from God. That is not humble. There's no humility in this. And so he's pointing out that Paul and Timothy are serving side by side together and they're not jealous of each other. They're not competing with one another. They love it when the other one does something great. And as a church here, we should rejoice when 
Macedonia Baptist Church sees a great victory. Praise God for that. We should rejoice when Moberly does something fantastic and people are saved for the kingdom of God. We should rejoice in that and praise the Lord for what he's doing down the street. All these churches, many churches all around here, we are not in competition with these churches. We're to join hands with them and to advance the kingdom of God together. But I just want to tell you, that does not happen much. And it doesn't happen much, you've seen, it doesn't happen much because we we have this spirit that we're competing against everybody else. And that is the spirit of pride and that does not honor God. And so we need to carry that on. When, When you see another church doing well, we need to praise the Lord for that. We need to rejoice with what God is doing, not just at Woodland Hills, not just in Longview, but all over the world. When we have reports, when a missionary comes in and shares reports, those are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we rejoice for all the work that God is doing. Then we see that uh, Timothy lived a life of sacrifice. Do you think this? Do you think that when Paul came back into Lystra and he saw Timothy and he said, hey, Timothy, why don't you come with me? Do you think that changed the plans of Timothy a little bit? I think it did. Here's a young man, an ambitious young man. He probably had his life planned out. He might have had places he wanted to go. He might have had things he wanted to see. He might have had a business that he wanted to get into. But when Paul came and asked him, he put all those things on the shelf and he began to follow Paul. He changed it all. He left everything that he had intended to do. And he went through tribulation after tribulation and trial after trial. And he began to follow Paul and thereby follow the Lord God. To follow means that there will be sacrifices. We will give up some things to be a follower of the Lord. And the last thing we see is this. We see that Timothy was available. Timothy was available. Look at verse 23. He says, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things will go with me. You know, maybe the hardest thing is to be available. He's saying, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send Timothy. He knew that Timothy would, would be available to go. Timothy wouldn't be too busy. Timothy wouldn't have too many things going on. He wouldn't have too many irons in the fire. If the Lord led, he knew that Timothy would answer the call. And what is hard to find today is someone who is available. It's hard to find somebody who says, here I am, send me. Pick me. Choose me. I'll go. I'll go with you to have that spirit of availability. And I want to be the man that God uses. I want to be the woman that God uses. You say, what does that look like? I believe that looks like you wake up in the morning and you you pray, Lord, would you use me today? Doesn't matter who you are. You wake up in the morning and say, Lord, would you use me today? I'm going to be available. Put someone in my path that I can minister to. Lead me across someone who needs a word of encouragement. God, whatever you need, I'll be there today. So, Lord, use me today. I want to just challenge you. Do that tomorrow. When you wake up and you're laying in bed and it feels so good under those covers, but you know you got to get up, 
before you get up, say a little prayer and say, Lord, would you use me today? I don't know where you're going tomorrow. I don't know what your day holds. Maybe you're going to work. Lord, would you use me at work today? Would you use me at school today? Would you use me around these people that live near me today? And just see what happens. I believe that when we make ourselves available, God will choose to use us. All right, so review here. What do we see on Timothy? We see that Timothy was a man of proven worth. He was a man that chose the right example. He was a man that had a compassionate heart. He was a man that focused on the right things. He was a man of integrity. He was humble. He was a man of great sacrifice. And Timothy was available. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this time. God, I thank you for uh, these men and women here this evening, God, that will come on a Wednesday night uh, just to study your word, to hear from you. Lord, I pray that you've spoken. I pray that you've uh, challenged us with some qualities that, that maybe we need to strengthen. And Lord God, I pray that as we wake up in the morning, that our heart will say, Lord, use me today. Let me to be a, a man of integrity. Let me to be a woman that is uh, willing to sacrifice. Lord, use me. Use me at work. Use me with my, my peers, God. Use me as I go to town. Use me as I go to Walmart. And Lord, I pray that you will put people in our path tomorrow that we can share with. Lord, I pray we will look for people to invest in and that we will reach this area for your kingdom. So, Lord, be with us, guide us, and direct us. We pray that you will be with all the other ministries as they are closing up right now, God. That has been a good night all across this campus. Pray that you'll be with our, uh, our loved ones in Branson, God, that you will give them a, a great time of rest, God, and a, a fellowship together. Pray you'll bring us all back together safely on Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. Well, you should.